0: Good. Well, oh, hang on one second here. Let's get this right. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumter. Good morning, Stacy. I think this must be the international edition, huh?
1: I was just going to say, you must be playing Double O Seven music for me here. <laughs> yes, I'm, uh, it's a, a great way to start off the, the the call this morning. I'm located in Barcelona, Spain this morning, looking at a beautiful uh, blue skies. Um, so I can't complain at all. And and you're you're in California this week, aren't you?
0: I'm in beautiful. Well, it's not actually beautiful. It's kind of gloomy, San Diego, um, where I am. Um, spending time with Cornerstone um, at their users' conference, uh, and it's it's been interesting. I love San Diego, absolutely love San Diego, but tell me about Barcelona because I've never been.
1: Oh, Barcelona, well, I, I haven't got a chance to get out and to experience it too much this week, but I have um, been experiencing beautiful weather. I love the fact that here in Barcelona uh, that they love color, so all the, the, the women and the men both were in very colorful um, uh, business casual environments. You know, generally when you go to Europe or you go to other places, oftentimes everybody's in black suits and, you know, maybe a little bit of color in their shirts or their socks or their ties. But here, um, uh, wonderfully colorful dress jackets and, you know, skirts, and it's just, it's a beautiful place to be at and have a conference. And I'm here for the TalentSoft conference. Um uh, so when I get out a little bit, hopefully tonight, I will let you know how the rest of Barcelona looks. My understanding is that it has got amazing architecture, and, um, and so I'll be spending a little bit of time downtown tonight. But the rest of this week I've been here at the Conference Center, uh, which is at the Fairmont Hotel uh, in Barcelona, which is a very nice event location. That's
0: a, that sounds great. So tell me about Talentsoft and what you're learning
1: well, um, for those who don't know TalentSoft, they are a, well, they've been primarily a talent management solution in the um, European markets, not in France. Um, they've got over 2,000 customers in the talent management space. Last year, they launched what they call Talent Hub, which is sort of a, a stripped-down version, but a, but a version of a core HRMS with effective dating and all the things that need to go along with that and document management and employee self-service and manager self-service. Um, so they are um, uh, quickly, you know, building out a portfolio of applications that run from recruiting and learning and performance management all the way through now what would be sort of the core HRMS um, application. And um, they also, I think, have um, a very strong standing in the space around sort of regional and uh, localized um, requirements for the European environment, which is always a bit of a struggle for anybody who's worked in the European environment, so they have customers in hundred and thirty different countries um, in this space um, and th- it's been very exciting to see you know we, we generally see a lot of these large global HR technology vendors um, primarily being US centric this is definitely an organization that is not US centric and they and they they have, most of their plans to stay within the European market for their base, but they're getting a large um, set of, of customers working with them. So really excited to be getting a chance to sort of see where they're at this week and understand a bit more about their clients and their customers and the work that they're doing. So it's been a good week.
0: So what's the big news at Talentsoft?
1: Well, I think the biggest news this week from them is their um, partnership with Microsoft So for those of you, you know, Microsoft partners with everybody. And, you know, that's kind of one of the big things, you know, when all the analysts were sitting in the room and they were sort of talking about what they're doing. And, of course, there's always the question, is it exclusive? And with Microsoft, it's never exclusive. It can't be exclusive, right? Their their whole model is about partnering with everybody, even in in a competitive environment. Um, But they have, it seems, um, been one of the first to the market. Um, They were mentioned in, um, uh, you know, Microsoft CEO's, recent presentation of the new tool around Microsoft Graph. Now Microsoft Graph is sort of the connective tissue between Office 365, all of the cloud service offerings that Microsoft has, um, and the idea of a profile that you know you have around, um, which would be the Microsoft customer, but for organizations it would be their employees. And this Microsoft Graph interface environment set of tools that they're calling um, is is being utilized by the Talentsoft product to um, basically connect the two mm-hmm. worlds, which is Microsoft application and Office 365 and all the things that go along with that, including Teams and Word and Excel and um, the SharePoint, all those type of things, with what's happening in your HR environment to uh, go along with um, social requirements and scheduling and. Uh, communications, and so those two worlds, they they basically uh, announced a partnership where TalentSoft will be leveraging that graph interface and those graph tools to bring data in and pull data from their environment back and forth between Microsoft Office and um, TalentSoft. And they had a a pretty high up representative there from Microsoft to announce this, uh, and they walked through several examples of how um, their tool set would be leveraging the Microsoft data um to to help their companies you know uh, do hr um processes and gather data on their employees in ways that that made sense from an hr perspective such as scheduling um performance reviews um task management within their environment those type of things so it was very very interesting and um they focused on this idea of um work you know the idea of hr and technology in the flow of work that everything they're doing now is going to be in the flow of work they very nicely mentioned you john as one of the people that they saw a few years back at an hr tech conference session who had mentioned that early on um as the idea that that hr technology would be more about the application layer um, versus a platform and that has definitely informed their thinking in this area so that was a big big um, space that they've been talking about today. Do you remember that presentation where you mentioned that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah but,
0: <laughs> but I would never use the language uh, um, in the flow of work <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because, because that's that is that is a lot of additional intellectual baggage on the idea that <laughs> uh, people don't want to learn multiple interfaces. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so the best, the best place to do your HR stuff is in Slack or in some other communications platform. And, um, I've been, I've been for, for a month trying to figure out what in the flow of work means. And, And it just means that you put your, um, processes closer to people, by being yep. in the tools that they spend their time in, rather than insisting that they learn how to use your interface, right? Exactly. And so, yeah. so yeah, and- yeah. Now that that I've been talking about for a long time in the flow of work, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out if that was like sort of a health spa treatment. they are going to go <laughs> um, get a massage and get in the flow of work there. Yeah. <laughs> well.
1: <laughs> It does not roll off the tongue as easily as some other things, but but I think the the thing which you mentioned, which is the idea that you know the HR system may not be the primary point, right? You know, the uh, the place where you're going to be doing all the work. You're, the that it is more of a a layer that you're pulling data into and pushing data out from, right? And doing a lot of the the analysis and algorithms, right? um That was one of the other things they mentioned. They are starting to roll out some. Um, algorithms that will help uh, rank and rate, you know, uh, applicants for positions, which we know brings with it a lot of concern about, you know, data and privacy and ethics around that. Um, they were very careful to show that they were going to show where their algorithms, um, you know, what type of things they were using to um, create those algorithms. They did show that in their demonstration. Um, but the conversation around data privacy here was a little different. I thought that would probably intrigue you as well. Um, Their data privacy conversation was much more focused on specifically the idea of making sure that people were aware of what you were capturing and why you were capturing it, but not as much emphasis on some of the things we've been talking about in the States, which I think is about how that data could be used in a biased way. So there was not as much conversation here about a concern around data bias as I've seen in the States as much. Well,
0: you, you know, the, the, the conversation about bias in the States, it's really, it's really a sales conversation, right? Because you can scare people in the States by pointing to regulatory problems associated with hiring processes. And in general, people in the States are terrified about that, um, um, legal framework that says it's against the law to be biased in these very specific ways, um, and, but it's real. It really is a compliance conversation. Bias is a sexy way to talk about compliance. Um, that kind of compliance is secondary to privacy, which is a human right um, um, in Europe. Um, and so and so, you'd expect it to be different. You'd expect it to be a lot different. And the question of whether or not um, there's bias comes after the question of whether or not you could prevent the system from working against you in the first place.
1: That's a very, that's a much better way of saying that that I did. But it was, it was an, an interesting, you know, perspective because, you know, we we talk about data privacy in the states, but it is definitely not at the same level as they have here. And yet, I think, you know, there wasn't as, you know, their is like I see with many of the vendors here. Particularly, there's not a fear of it. It's it's just a, a matter of um almost practicality about well, you you just have to make sure that you are. You know, sort of doing all the things to make sure it's transparent. Very much a, a feeling of you know, sort of this is just how we do you know artificial intelligence here. It's a transparent conversation versus sort of having it in the background doing the work, right?
0: Well, I think you 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 know this is this is this is muddled. I'm sure we we might get an opinion um, out of this mm-hmm. from somebody in the audience, but um. um In the States, when there's a law, the business approach to laws is often, well, can we get away with breaking it? And there's an economic analysis that goes, what's the cost of abiding by the law versus what's the cost of breaking the law? That may not be a universal, global way of thinking about what laws mean. (laughs) You know, some places, like I think lots of Europe, um, the idea is that, oh, if there's a law, then you work around that you work with that that's what that's the starting yeah. point and and um that's not a, a congenital American way of thinking about what the law
1: means. <laughs> We might very well get some comments on that, John. I don't know. We we'll probably get some pushback. But I, I will just say, definitely, I don't feel, here as much fear as, as I think we see in the States when we're talking about this topic. Um, even from the practitioners, the practitioners were, were really interesting in, in their, you know, comments and questions in the space. They were here, you know, listening about what the tool was doing, but very excited about the opportunity to use some of these tools um, and just really trying to figure out when they could put them in place. And and that is, again, I think sometimes you hear in the States much more pushback, but, oh, I'm not sure if we'll be allowed to use this. I didn't hear much of that from the customers here either. They were very, you know, interested in how quickly can we get this in place and how quickly can this be used. The other thing I think that was interesting is that, you know, um, they are definitely using the language here of skills management and competency management, again, another term that, We see used in the States definitely with learning technology, Um, but, you know, here this idea of skills mapping, skills and competency management um, was central to a lot of the artificial intelligence they were talking about um, and the tools that they were sort of bundling together as part of this Office 360 connection um, conversation as well. So that was nice to see that those are, are terms that were front and center for a, HR tool that starts from the talent management perspective, right? Um, it, it's much what you would expect if a talent management system came out with an HR capability. They definitely show that their the roots are in learning and in performance. So that was very good as well. Um, you're at another talent management vendors event. You were at Cornerstone this week, John. How about their updates? Anything there that, um, you know, is similar to what we're hearing here on the European side?
0: Well, so Cornerstone is is – is doing two things that are that are pretty interesting the first one is they're rounding out their entire offering so they now have an hris um and that makes them a a relatively comprehensive suite provider and what they're doing in the places where they don't have um functionality is they are a Aggressively building out the availability and quality of their application programming interfaces, their APIs, and so those are the two. Those are the two primary announcements this week, um, and that puts uh, Cornerstone on the track to being um, um, a hefty competitor in the space of, of a full HR system. Right, they, they've got APIs for payroll, but but they have much of the rest of the functionality now. So that's that's Cornerstone. Oh. Now, now Heather Busing, who who some of the people listening know is is my wife, and I ran a very long, very wonderful workshop for Cornerstone's executive advisory committee. Um, it was a room full of very senior. HR folks, um, and we took them through what what I think is, is probably something that Heather and I are going to do a lot of in the coming years. A, a workshop that starts with, how do you make sense out of all of the new technology that's coming along? And then we split it into two workshops after it. I ran a, an experiential section that gave you a sense of what it's like to be inside of a model and what do you do about the fact that the way the machine sees the world and the way that you see the world are different. And Heather's Heather's segment of the workshop was a disciplined run-through of a methodology for um, understanding how to process a decision once you had an input from a machine. Right, and so and so we're looking um, at some of the very practical parts of the integration of machine intelligence into working, and what and what that means. And, and it was a it was it was a tremendous success. And um, I think Heather and I learned as much as everybody else in in the room did, because there are all sorts of new ways of understanding what's happening in organizations now
1: very neat and and were they big and small organizations so was it a wide mix of organizations or cuz then cornerstone has got a pretty big mix of, of customers who they have and not sure who's on their advisory board but you know that always makes a big difference and, and were they sort of locally versus oh, they, sort of they, um, those are
0: yeah no these were all giants these were all these were okay. they they, they built the executive uh, advisory board out of their um largest clients. So so it was it was fifteen or twenty um sizable. There was somebody from Amazon was there and somebody from UPS was there and some major healthcare providers were there. And they all had very similar problem sets. Um, and and they all were somewhere down the road to um, a world where data governance is matter of fact part of HR in a way that it hasn't been in the past, and they all were—they they weren't all—about about 60% of the people in the room held the responsibility for their companies to protect PII. Okay. So it was it was a um, it, it was an interesting group of large, sophisticated players. And, and their question of their participation was amazing the, the the thing that i did in in my work in my workshop is it it's a it's a um a, a well established simulation where you give different teams something that looks like the same set of rules but there are one or two tiny little differences and and you get them good at playing a game with that set of rules, and then you start to mix people from different teams. So you end up with different teams trying to get something done when the rule definitions are different, which is what happens when you have a machine offering a recommendation versus the way that a human would generate a recommendation. There's often that dissonance in it, and, and part of what you have to figure out how to do to, to, to function well in, a, in, a, in an environment where the workforce is, is composed of people and machine intelligence um, is, is make sense out of those rule differences and learn how to voice dissent when you don't agree with the, with the recommendation of the machine. Um, and and so that's that's what that part of it was trying to to get through.
1: That's actually a really you know it's interesting because um, you know here at the Townsoft event I was particularly impressed when the the their their um, head of technology so the, the guy who oversees you know the infrastructure and all that here at, at them put up a couple of, of slides about sort of his role and the work that he was doing. And one of the things he definitely focused on that his role and the company's role was is in the area of digital ethics, as he called it. And and it, I think it fits exactly with what you're saying. His, his slide particularly said, you know, that their approach to dig, digital ethics is to be more open and transparent about usages, be able to explain the recommendations, which is what you just talked about. And I think this is what you're talking about, accept social responsibility over personal data protection. Is, is that what you – what you think you're talking a little bit about there this idea that you have to disagree in some cases and that might be in a case of social responsibility or ethics decisions right
0: oh but 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 it could also be just in general so 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 we're moving into a time where there's going to be probabilistic information about everything imagine that there are I don't know what the real number is, but imagine that there are 10,000 possible decisions that people could make in the process of doing an HR job for every one of those 10,000 decisions. Five years from now, there'll be a statistical prediction about what the right thing to do is. And, and that can be from as simple as do we make an exception to the pay advance policy to, um, uh, who do we promote um, or mm-hmm. how do we intervene in this particular environment um, and and as a consumer of that information the, the machines are never really going to get better than 80%, 85% and so the question of uh, what do you do with a prediction that says there's an 80% likelihood that it's this way versus a 20% likelihood that it's that oh. way Boils down to how do you trust the machine, and what do you trust the yeah. machine to do? and 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 so so that that makes it a little clearer that the process of of getting to use these tools will be one of developing trust in the machine's output. And the machine's output is not is going to be imperfect because the current way of thinking about how you build a model, of a decision is that you use the least number of variables possible to predict the history, right and so there's always going to be a gap when you when you build the model that way, and that gap is where all of the error is. Now in our organizations today, we really don't cultivate dissent. As a part of management so 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 i've never I've never heard of a manager whose idea is I want everybody in the on the team to disagree with me that's not the that's not the industrial management model, but what you need going forward is lots of people who are willing to disagree and stick to it. What you saw in the exercise that we did—you'll you, recognize these behaviors instantaneously. When 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 it, when it became clear that there were two sets of rules in operation, some people who tended to be white men um, asserted that they knew what the rules were and they—we were going to do it their way, right? <laughs> that- and some people who tended to be women rolled their eyes and went, "Oh, here we go again," and <laughs> didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And there were there were there were tons of other reactions, but you can consolidate it in those in those two places. Both of those approaches are are the wrong way to deal with with something that has to do with the rules being off. Um, you know, so being assertive and self-confident isn't a good answer, and being passive-aggressive isn't a good answer. The, the right answer is to go, wow, something's wrong here. I'm really sure that the rule is X. Uh, but you have to build environments that support that. And um, that's, I think, that that has more to do with what the world of work is going to look like going forward than anything that I've seen.
1: Well, th- this is sort of an interesting take because I think what you're getting at might actually, you know, if you look at it uh, on a flip side possibly, right? Um, the chief product officer here at Talentsoft, Alexander um, Pachulski, um, he did a presentation, probably one of the better presentations I've seen in the last couple of years on on this topic, right? You know, we always get the, are you going to be in the West world environment or are you going to be, you know, in the, in the Star Trek or whatever else, you know, is it positive environment for, you know, artificial intelligence. Um, But, you know, his, you know, approach to this was to flip the question a little bit and to ask uh, about what he called, you know, I don't think this is a correct term, but the human singularity instead of the, the, the computer singularity, right. Which is the idea that if the technology is, you know, sort of has all these capabilities, we as humans have to decide what we want the technology to do versus what we want to hold on to. And when we make the decision about what we want to hold on to, then how we use the technology becomes more interesting. Um, and it, it got to the, the, the conversation about decision making, sort of a better human being who can sort of make a more compassionate decision that, than a computer can make, right? But that means you have to understand that you can push back, right? To be compassionate, you have to know that, there, that the computer doesn't have the capacity to be compassionate, right? I, I don't know. Do you think that fits together with what you're talking about, John, or is that going in a different direction?
0: No, no, it, it fits together great. That We're going to have colleagues who are digital. And we are going to have, you know, I don't know what it look like at Talonsoft, but I've been seeing more and more stuff from vendors that looks like. Oh, the slide I'm using these days is an ivy co- ivy covered house. It looks like um, intelligence is ivy, and it's covering the house. And so, so there are going to be, you know, I've seen, I've seen full-spectrum HR technology providers with 50 or 60 different points where they have an intelligent recommendation engine embedded in the tool. Each one of those things is a model. Each one of those things is somebody's opinion of how things work. Um, And you have to vet those. Both before you set them free in the organization and while they're operating to make sure that they're okay, and I don't, I don't think anybody that I've encountered is prepared for that level of management of the technology. Yeah,
1: and and that's I think the exact word management of the technology because you know we just assume that I think you know the artificial intelligence should and can be used everywhere, right? Um, but I think. You know, the better question is, what do we want to hold on to? I really like that question. I think it's something we probably should think a little bit more about. Um, which means you have to understand exactly where that line is. But I, you know, this is this is a fascinating conversation on the front that, um, you know, the technologies in the HR space today now that are sort of moving into HR are the technologies that were more. Um, focused on the softer side of HR, right? The talent management systems. Both of the, 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 the organizations we're talking about today, John, uh, Cornerstone and Talentsoft, were primarily those systems that were thinking about learning and performance and, you know, succession planning, all the things that we generally would align with the softer side of HR, and they're getting into the more sort of critical talent profile and core HRMS employee self-service, manager self-service areas. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, can these two worlds fit together? And a lot of it, I think, it has to do with exactly what you're talking about, right? They have to understand um, where the artificial intelligence fits in there and what's it covering up and what it's not covering up, right? Yep. Yep,
0: it's going to be a, a, a really amazing time. It's going to be a really amazing time because things are um, – Different now. Things are different now.
1: Now we didn't have um, because both of us are traveling and we're sort of in at at events. We didn't get to any of the the um, news and topics for this week in the HR tech space. But next week we'll be back on um, talking a little bit more about news and, and topics. But I think this has been a great conversation this week about sort of the state of AI. It's getting into probably some of the things you'll be covering in your your upcoming book, I would assume, right? Yep,
0: yeah, that's that's we're getting, we're getting ready. I am I am at um, um demo number 83 and it looks like I'm going to have about 120 by the time, by the time <laughs> I'm ready to start writing the next one. So your brain
1: will be mush at that point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes, you can you can see brain cells leaking out as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> so, enjoy the rest of your trip. You're back in town next week?
1: Well, I'll I'll still be still be um here in Europe, but I'll be vacationing next week, but I'm still going to do the radio show, so we'll we should be fine. Uh but I'll be back the following week in town. So yeah, so we should be good.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And I'll be in New York, so we'll be figuring out time we'll zones back, next yeah. week. Yep. Yep. Okay, Stacey. Another great another great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your globe trotting to do this. <laughs> um and and we'll be back next week. Thanks everybody for listening in. Um Thanks, you've been everyone. listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacey Harris and John Subser. See you soon. Bye bye now.
1: Bye.